0: It's under clinical trial, and and we think from uh, the mechanism of action that it may be helpful, and if this is proven to be helpful in clinical trials, hopefully it will be approved by the FDA within another two or three years. There's another uh, growth factor that has been shown to be potentially helpful uh, called ciliary neurotrophic factor, or CNTF, and a researcher at UCSF has basically designed some cells to produce this Protein, and then implant these cells into the eye to release them. And there was a big press release about this about maybe six months ago. And there's some data out that's looking interesting for that. It's also being used in, ret- in retinitis pigmentosa. And then there's a drug called Copaxone that there's one. Splice, it's an interesting drug. Um, it's actually on the market already. It's a, an injectable that the patient administers to themselves subcutaneously, much like the uh, diabetic word for insulin. It's um, been on the market for a while to treat multiple sclerosis. And through some serendipity, uh, there was a group of Israeli researchers who noticed that patients who were being treated for multiple sclerosis it was making their dry macular degeneration improve. Dry mac- the beginning of dry macular degeneration are these little yellow deposits under the macula that we call drusen. And copaxone looks like it makes drusen go away. There's only one trial so far that's looked at this in Israel. It's it's a very small study, about 20 patients. Uh, But over a four-month period of time where patients injected this once a week, their drusen improved. There was uh, no uh, benefit to vision. Of course, it was only a four-month study at that point. But it's an interesting drug, and there'll be more studies on that. Probably one of the biggest things that hit the press recently, and I was at the the scientific meeting that this was presented at, was about gene therapy. Um, The the Association for Research in Vision and Ophthalmology meets every day in Florida, and I've been going to that meeting for about 25 years. And I was at the meeting when they presented the results of the first six humans treated with uh, gene therapy for a retinal and macular disease. Let's put things in context a little bit. I was actually at the the planning meeting in Paris back in, I think it was around 2002 or 2003, where we were trying to decide on gene therapy protocols and which disease we should go after first. And basically the committee picked a disease called labors congenital amaurosis, which is a very rare type of retinitis pigmentosa. And it's a degeneration of a deep layer of the retina, which then eventually results in degeneration of the full layer of the retina. And later congenital aneurosis, this strikes early in childhood and causes very severe vision loss very quickly. Turns out there are dogs, a colony of dogs that get this, it's a mutation in a gene called RPE65, if anybody wants to know that one. It, it, and there's actually several different genes involved in labor's congenital anamorosis. This, the one that we picked to, to do the first trials on um, were RPE65. That's because in RPE65 the switch is turned off. One of the little switches in the retina that generates light is turned off without as much cell death. And the idea being if you can just turn the switch back on by replacing the gene, all the machinery is there it will rev up and start functioning again and in the dog colony with this mutation uh, the dogs were treated with gene therapy probably about four years ago by the same, same group in Philadelphia, Gene Bennett and Alan and they're old friends of mine and they're, they're very good researchers and this also, I mean, just to give you an idea of the size of this project, this project goes back to the earliest beginnings of Bill Hausworth at the University of Florida where I was before I came to UCLA uh, where he developed some vectors for gene therapy for human gene therapy. And so this has now come to fruition, you know, 15 years later. Uh, and it's taken multiple centers and a lot of cooperation and coordination and money and funding and, and et cetera. Anyway, long story short, they injected this gene to replace it in this dog colony, and they got really good results from the dogs, really good results. And the dogs went up to the Congress and Senate and, you know, put <laughs> their hands and, you know, made a little show of... <laughs> um, and, and yeah, it's been good. It's been very good. So the next step was to take this to human trial. And now there have been six humans that have been treated. Three in, in Pennsylvania and uh, Philadelphia, um, UTEP, and three in, in London. And the patients, uh, the trials have only been going on for about four or five months. They're fairly short so far. But uh, Most of the patients have some improvement in vision with this gene therapy. And that's where all the excitement has been in the press about this. Uh, And it is exciting. It's a proof of principle that gene therapy seems to be working. Albeit, some of us are a little disappointed it doesn't seem to be working as well as it did in the dogs. But, you know, we still have time, and things are certainly moving in a positive direction with the gene therapy. Now, this works because we know the mutation in this animal, and because there's very little cell death. that Both of those are criteria which don't really exist in age-related macular degeneration. So we're probably a ways away from gene therapy in, mac, in age-related macular degeneration. Um, but nevertheless, it's, it's an exciting time to be involved in this research and to see these things going on that if, uh, friends of mine and I've been peripherally involved in for so many years. The other thing that I think is really exciting, although there's no human trials yet, there's a couple that are planned on stem cell therapy for macular degeneration. Most of the folks with macular degeneration, have they lose cells, they lose tissue. Gene therapy is not going to replace cells. Stem cells can or have the potential to. Um, There are multiple different stem cell uh, protocols going on in animals, and uh, in London, Israel, here in the States, there's a couple. I'm involved with a, with a company down in San Diego. And the cells that we have down in San Diego, they're part made cells from eggs. So no embryos um, or fetuses or humans die in the process, which has always been the big ethical uh, dilemma. And also the other thing is when you're injecting cells into a person, that's foreign, that's foreign material, and can be rejected just like a foreign kidney kidney transplant can be rejected. And so these cells are also engineered to match about 80% of the Caucasian population in HLA typing to help prevent rejection. And we're looking at animal trials very shortly, and we're set up to go into human trials, hopefully within the next couple of years. And to me, people with macular degeneration, they need cells, they need tissues. And uh, stem cell therapy is one possible mechanism to achieve that. Then the last thing in research is the prosthesis, the artificial retina. There are now 23 groups working on this worldwide. Uh, one of them is over here at USA, a friend of mine, Mark marker real good researcher. I knew him back at, from back at Duke 20 years ago or so. And the idea is the retina is basically a phototransducer. turns light energy into electrical energy, which then sends the message back to your brain that we then see as, as images in light. The uh, prosthesis uh, basically replaces part of that function in the idea of stimulating the remaining neural tissue in the retina in order to stimulate uh, visual images to the brain. There are multiple different strategies. Some are going under the retina, some are on top of the retina. There are some prostheses that are being developed to stimulate the optic nerve if the retina is totally shot. And then there are those that are working on prostheses that stimulate the vision cortex of the brain. So there's all kinds of different strategies going on. It's all very, very technical engineering uh, problems. And when you think about it though, it's basically the same problem, and it, it should be this should be fixable someday. It should be able you should be able to achieve something with it someday. because so it's basically the same problem as the cochlear implant in hearing impaired people. Same kind of engineering problem. A little more complicated. Um, and then while we're waiting around for all the this good research to come to fruition and, and get us going and seeing better, you know, we, we have our little vision aids, we have the Braille Institute and all the fine services here and the Center for Partially Cited. So I, while the research is a little bit sometimes seems like pie in the sky, and the FDA is always taking too long to approve drugs and research is always slower than, than we'd like, we still have a lot of good services that can improve our quality of life. Right here at the Braille Institute. And uh, so now let's open it up to some questions. Okay, I have a question
1: right here. Uh, Doctor, I came in late, so I don't know whether you discussed this or not. Namely, uh, uh, people who have macular degeneration, are they good candidates? For, uh, the name escapes me for the moment because I had it done to me. Uh, when you have a film over your eye, what's the term, the operation? Cataract. 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 Now, the question namely, is this. Are people who have macular degeneration good candidates for cataract operation?
0: Yeah, the, the, the issue in question, basically the underlying question is does cataract surgery make macular degeneration worse? There was a paper about 10 years ago that came out that said, and it was done by one researcher, it was kind of a didn't do a very good job, and he kind of suggested that maybe it did. That scared a lot of people. And there have been now at least three large epidemiology studies, various study included, that suggests that cataract surgery does not make macular degeneration worse. So if you have a bad cataract and you have macular degeneration, I think it's reasonable to go ahead with cataract surgery. Now the problem is you're not going because you have macular degeneration in the back of the eye and you remove the cataract in the front, and you know, your vision's not going to be perfect afterwards. And it's it's very difficult to predict exactly what kind of vision you would have after a successful cataract surgery. And it's a it's a clinical gestalt. Uh-huh. And there's no machine that we have that can say, you know, eighty percent of your vision problem is cataract and twenty percent is macular degeneration or vice versa. So it's purely an issue of your physician evaluating your eye very carefully and coming up with his best guess as to how much improvement you may or may not get with cataract surgery. The reason that I asked the question mainly because
1: fifteen years ago I had the operation and it aggravated my condition so that they finally had a laser. uh, I assume that uh, uh, bleeding started to occur profusely, and in lasering it, they burnt my
0: retina. Back in, prior to all these drugs we have, and prior to photodynamic therapy, all we really had was a hot laser, well primarily, there were a few other things, but primarily what we had was a hot laser to cauterize New blood vessel growth and it was destructive, there's no question about it. There was a study that suggested that you're better off for the scar from the laser though than a naturally occurring scar that would keep growing. So back in the, you know, the late 90s, we used to laser the macula and destroy it intentionally. Um, the comment about cataract surgery feels like cataract surgery exacerbated and his macular degeneration caused the bleeding. I would suggest that that probably was not the case in that a lot of times the cataract is so bad we can't see the back of the eye adequately. And it's one of those things that you do the cataract surgery, get the cataract off, now you get a good look in the back of the eye at the retina and macula, and whoops, you've got a little serious problem going on that you've got to deal with macular degeneration. So it's, it's actually very rare and anecdotal for, macul- for cataract surgery to make macular degeneration worse. Well, I don't think it does. And the data, the best data sets say that it doesn't. Let's take a question from the left side of the room. Did
1: you say that the, uh, the lens implant was available to people or is just in the experimental?
0: Lens implant?
1: Isn't that what you said, the last thing you talked about?
0: The lens implant for cataract surgery has been available for 25 years. There's an a, there's a, uh, implantable telescope yeah. that's under research uh, for age-related macular degeneration. And basically it's, it's done with, well, with routine cataract surgery. You know, the cataract is removed, the cloudy lens is removed, and an artificial lens is put in its place. There is an uh, implantable telescope, as it's being called, which is basically the same as a lens implant when you do a cataract surgery, but it's a little miniaturized telescope. And it, well, it basically magnifies about three times. And it's, uh, they've been trying to get it FDA approved, and there's some research with some positive results on it.
1: Question over here. Hi, this question is regarding the effect of physical activity on macular degeneration, because I know of strenuous physical activity, the blood pressure will go up while you're exercising heavily, perhaps... That'll come down afterwards. Um, so, is uh, physical activity and macular degeneration a connection neutral, positive, or negative?
0: Um, according to ARES, they would say, they, uh, the data would suggest that the more activity, the more exercise, the better. We don't think of these transient elevations and changes in blood pressure to be a significant risk factor for developing wet macular degeneration, for instance. It's much more important for you to get good exercise than to worry about that. Um, My attitude about the whole thing is if going on a two-mile walk caused the wet macular degeneration to suddenly pop loose and start bleeding, it was going to happen anyway, whether you went on a walk or not. So do not limit your activity. Do not use macular degeneration as an excuse to sit on the couch with a remote control.
1: Uh, we should eat spinach five times a week. I was also told that I should have three, at least three meals, of course that's too many days in the week, but, of uh, broccoli. Is that, is that true? I like spinach better than broccoli. <laughs> <laughs>
0: the, the spinach data came from a Harvard study, and it was a retrospective food survey study, and they ranked like 50 different foods and, and compared that with the incidence of macular degeneration. Uh, The most protective and the best on that list, number one was spinach. number two was collard greens. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm from the South, and I've had collards, and spinach tastes really darn good compared to collards. (laughs) Plus, the only way way my mother-in-law makes collards taste good is she puts so much butter and salt on it that it's probably going to clog an artery somewhere. That's my mother-in-law. You can tell mother-in-law stories. But broccoli on that list was way down. It was like 50th on the list. So basically, the darker, the issue about the spinach is basically the darker green, the leafier, the better. Um, I personally like broccoli a lot more than spinach, but but spinach outranks broccoli by a lot, as well as carrots. Carrots rank fairly well on that list, too, surprisingly. But if you take the
1: vitamins that are recommended,
0: does that obviate the need for the Yeah, the question, the question, it's a fair one. It's a fair one. The, the, if you take the, the A-red vitamins, do you need to eat spinach five times a week? And the short answer is we don't, there hasn't been a study looking at that, so we don't really know. And all these things on my list, it's basically, you want to, it's about odds, it's about risk. You know, it's like insurance companies with risk analysis. You want to put as many chips in your favor as you can. And we know from one study that eating spinach helps put you in a slightly more advantageous pool than not eating than eating hamburgers every day. Um, whether or not the vitamins uh, would uh, keep keep your family from harassing you about eating spinach, I you know I don't know. So we don't know. We don't know. is a short answer. Okay. I would I would I would continue to do both. So you're got a question up front, Doctor? Can anything that would be done for scar tissue? Yeah, can anything be done for scar tissue? That's a tough one, and that's a very good question. Because one of the problems that happens with wet macular degeneration, you get this bleeding, and just like when you fall and scrape your knee or your elbow, you get bleeding, and then you get a scab, you get a scar. Well, scar tissue in the macula doesn't allow you to see. And a lot of people that have had bleeding in the past or are currently having bleeding in their macula, they wind up with scar tissue, even with successful treatments, with all these injections that are so wonderful now. If there's blood there, that blood is going to reabsorb and leave some form of a scar. And and how much vision you're left with at the end of the day will be determined by how big the scar is and exactly how close it is to the center of the macula. So at the moment, there's not a lot we can do with already existing scar tissue at one time there was a trial going on that I was part of uh, through National Eye Institute again where we would surgically remove the scar go under the retina and remove the scar and basically from the study the the conclusion was that the surgical scar left after that was no better than the naturally occurring scar and therefore we don't really recommend doing that very much anymore so the scar tissue is currently still a problem and with that scar tissue there's cell loss there's tissue loss And at the moment, it seems like the only strategies that will work for dealing with the scar tissue will eventually surgically remove the scar and put in some human embryonic stem cells that have been turned into retinal pigment epithelial cells for the prosthesis. You need need tissue, and and you need functioning tissue, and scar tissue doesn't doesn't allow you that at the moment. I
1: have a question for you. Early in your presentation, Dr. Small, I thought I heard you mention that several surgical... Uh, techniques and/or efforts have been made that are perhaps marginally or better successful. If that is true, is there has any thought been given to enabling the peripheral facet of the eye? I've got peripheral vision, but I'll, I don't have any central vision. But our peripheral vision is pretty is pretty good. Is there any thought been given to getting that tissue that enables us to have peripheral vision over there to get central vision? Or maybe that's a stupid question.
0: No, that's that's not a dumb question at all. Uh, There's been actually a lot of thought given to that. And there was a surgical procedure that a friend of mine, Gene Dewan, pioneered, also from Duke, way back when, where we would detach the retina the problem, first of all, the, the initial problem with macular degeneration is really not the neurosensory retina, it's the retinal pigment epithelial cells underneath it that support it, which is a single layer of cells. That's really where the degeneration begins. So the idea was, if you can detach the retina and move it, and swing it over to a fresh area of retinal pigment epithelial cells, you might be able to get some vision recovery. And th- that's partly true. Uh, the risk of the surgery was fairly high and there were a lot of issues technically and we don't really do that very much anymore but uh, yeah, a lot of thought has been given to that the other problem that we have in that situation when you have loss of central is, you know, there's loss of tissue and again, I think the best thing that we have to look forward to is going to probably be either the stem cell or the prosthesis at this point Got a question over here?
1: I have macular degeneration, the wet kind. Does my condition help with drops in my eyes?
0: Uh, uh, Do drops help wet macular degeneration? The short answer is no. Um, One of the issues is that a lot of people confuse the terms of wet and dry macular degeneration with wet wet eyes or dry eyes. A lot of people have dry eyes, which means they just don't make enough tears. That doesn't mean dry macular degeneration. And if your eyes are wet, if they tear too much, that can mean that the tear duct is plugged up. But again, that has nothing to do with macular degeneration. That's the short answer. The longer answer is there is a study of a drop uh, that has been presented suggesting that uh, it's a non anti-inflammatory, it's a class of a drop. One of the names is Nevinac. That was the drug the study was done with. Showing that if you use Nevinac, you can extend the period of times between the injections, or between the times that the injections are needed. So if you use Nevinac, you may not need so quite so many injections. Because Nevinac does have some anti angiogenic, some anti blood vessel growth properties to it. And then there are, there's another eye drop that is in, in uh, research stage in animals and in a couple of human trials that are looking at using this eye drop to stop blood vessel growth. So that's kind of a longer answer. Thank you very much.